Well, I think it is uh, easy for us to come in to this place each Sunday, and we see the things that are going on right here and right now, but are not aware of all of the many things that are going on in this building throughout the course of the week. Uh, there is rarely a day that goes by that does not have something happening in this building. Uh, we have Albuquerque Christian School that is here every weekday uh, teaching children and discipling children. We've got all the different activities associated with that, whether it's sports uh, activities and leagues in the evenings or Girl Scouts and Boy Scouts that come in or uh, just lots and lots of different things and people coming in and out of this building. Uh, this building is well used. And so uh, thank you for your participation in all of that, uh, your participation in those activities and your service in those areas. Uh, there is a lot of great work that is happening because of what is, is, is going on uh, in this building and through these people. Uh, let me ask you if this sounds familiar. Like sands through the hourglass. Oh, wow. I didn't even finish. Can, can you finish it for me? So are the days of our lives. Some of you are going like, what are you talking about? So where do these words come from? So some people have heard these words of wisdom before. Others of you have not. So, so let us educate you for just a moment. Does it come from the Bible? No, no there are no hourglasses in the Bible. Uh, maybe Socrates or Plato. No, no, it is not. Um, these are the words that come from the soap opera Days of Our Lives. And so many of you are familiar with it because it started in 1965 and has had over 12,000 episodes of these hourglass that never quite goes out, does it? Um, my roommate in college uh, was a little obsessed with uh, this show, which is a whole other conversation. Um, so I had the privilege of seeing it from time to time as well. So these familiar words, like the sands through an hourglass, so are the days of our lives. Now, if you think about that phrase, it actually starts to make a little bit of sense, right? Because an hourglass has a limited number of grains of sand. The sand is going through that hourglass and they run out, right? So we have a limited number of days. There's only so many grains of sand, whether it's a three-minute timer or something much longer. Uh, there are a limited number of, of grains of sand in this hourglass, and they're falling through this hourglass, and, and once they fall through, they are gone. Once they, they drop from the top into the bottom of the hourglass, those grains of sand are gone, and, and we have moved on. Now, I certainly wouldn't encourage us to use a soap opera to go to as a place for great wisdom and great advice on how to live life and how to have relationships and how to raise children and all that. Certainly not uh, considering that this morning. But we look at this phrase and we think about time. We think about the time in our life that we have that like an hourglass, there's a limited amount of time and it, and it sifts through into the bottom of that and once it is gone, Gone, it is gone. Now, time shows up in our speech in lots of different places. We have phrases like, time is on our side, time heals all wounds, time is money, time is of the essence, time is the one thing that you cannot save for tomorrow. 
Only time will tell. Quality time. No time like the present. Take all the time you need. Make up for lost time. Time well spent. Quiet time. Special time. Wasted time. Time to relax. Time to party. There's all these things that we look at when we look at time. It's one of those things that we each have, and unlike a lot of other resources, it's the thing that we all have exactly the same amount of. Now, regardless of what our bank account has that may be different from the person sitting next to you, we all have the same amount of time, that we have 24 hours in a day, and there are seven days of a week, and there are 168 hours in a week, 8,760 hours in a year, we all have the same amount. We've all been given the same number of hours. There's this great quote by author William Riley that says, everything requires time. Time is the only permanent and absolute ruler in the universe. But she is a scrupulously fair ruler. She treats every living person exactly alike every day. No matter how much of the world's goods you have managed to accumulate, you cannot successfully plead for a single moment more than the pauper receives without ever asking for it. Time is the one great leveler. Everyone has the same amount to spend every day. And so we've got this resource of time. It, it's a gift from God, and it's a gift that he gives to all of us equally, that we all have this same amount. And so the question really becomes, what do you do with those 24 hours? What do you do with that gift of time that we've all received? Colossians 3 becomes this helpful reminder for us as we think about how we manage our time, how we look at time. It says, how, and whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So whatever you do, however you spend your time, regardless of how you decide to use those hours in your day, this gift that God has given us, use it for the name of Jesus, for God's glory. Use it for his purposes. Use it for God's kingdom. And so we're in this series where we are looking at these core beliefs that we have, how these beliefs impact us as followers of Jesus, and the practices that we have because of those beliefs. That, that because of, of what we believe about things like the church, what we believe about things like compassion, things that we believe about stewardship, because of those beliefs, it should impact us into using our hours in very different ways. That Jesus' new life for us, when we become followers of him, it should change our priorities. It should change how we view time. It certainly changes how we view ourselves, right? So it should be impacting our calendars in the same way. And in the same way that we have been redeemed and our lives are made new, our calendars should be redeemed and our calendars should be made new. And so what are the changes in our lives that occur when we believe in Jesus? 
When we really believe what he has done for us, how does that impact us as believers, as his followers? His great love for us is such an incredible gift. And it is through experiencing that 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 we are motivated to devote our lives to different things in different ways, including our calendars, including our schedules, our days, our hours, our serving His priorities. And so this leads us to the core practice that we're talking about today. It is this, I offer my time to fulfill God's purposes. So last week we talked about our spiritual gifts, and thank you for all of you who have been emailing me the results of your spiritual gift surveys. Lots of interesting information there, right? Uh, One of mine is knowledge, so I like to have all that. But for you, hopefully it was an enlightening experience to be thinking about what God has given you and how you can use those for kingdom purposes. And so the natural progression from understanding how God has wired you is how are you going to use your time using those gifts? That God has gifted you in certain ways, and so now will you use those gifts for selfish things? Will you use those gifts for your own gain, or will you use those gifts for God and for his glory? And so we are looking here at how we use our time. The decisions of of how we spend our time will will determine the impact that we have and the the impact that our life will have. You show up to a funeral and you, you see the impact a person has had and how they have used their time by the people and the relationships that have 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 formed because of that person. You see the impact of their life and how they spent their time. We give our time to God by using it, by using this gift that he has, this limited resource of time to serve his purposes. There is this uh, great story in Haggai that we're going to go through. So if you want to be looking for Haggai, you may need to go to the table of contents to get there. Um, but look for Haggai and, and look at chapter 1, starting in verse 1. We're going to read through this story. So we've got the people of God who are exiled, and a group of them are allowed to return back to Jerusalem uh, to be able to rebuild the temple. And so these first exiles return to their homeland out of Babylon, and their first priority is and should be to build the temple and to to restore worship to the one true God. This is their objective in going back. This is really why they were even allowed to go back. But when the project began, it quickly fizzled out, and the people became discouraged, and they stopped working on the temple. And so the prophet Haggai delivers this message from God to the people to reconsider how they're using their time. How are they using their resources? Starting in verse 1, In the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of this other guy, the high priest. (laughs) The prophets. Not the important part of the story. So we're going to go to the important part. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. 
So the people are saying, yeah, we came for this purpose of rebuilding the temple, but yeah, it's not quite the right time. Manana. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains in ruin? Now, for those of you who have remodeled a house lately, paneled houses aren't in right now. But we get the points, right? They're living in these houses with these well-decorated rooms. They're, they're designing their own houses, and they're preparing their own houses, and they're building their own houses, and God's house hasn't been built yet. And so he asked this question, is it time for you to have your own stuff? but not the stuff for me. Verse 5, Now this is what the Lord Almighty says, Give careful thought to your ways. Remember this phrase, Give careful thought to your ways. When you start feeling your toes stepped on later in the message, remember that this is where it came from. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but they're not worn. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. You're doing a lot of stuff for yourself, but it's not really getting you very far. Verse 7, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Again, give careful thought to your ways. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build my house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You expected much, but see, I tur it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why, declares the Lord Almighty, because of my house, which remains in ruin while, while each of you is busy with your own house. My house is in ruins while you're busy with your own house. Therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew and the earth its crops. I called for a drought on the fields and the mountains, on the, on the grain, the new wine, the olive oil, and everything else the ground produces, on people and livestock and all the labor of your hands." Then Zerubbabel and Joshua, the high priest, and the whole remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the message of the prophet Haggai, because the Lord their God had sent him, and the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message of the Lord to the people, I am with you. I'm with you declares the Lord. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the high priest, and the spirit of the whole remnant of the people. They came and began the work on the house of the Lord Almighty their God on the 24th day of the sixth month. And so Haggai comes to the people and says, you're busy with your own house, and you've neglected the house of God. You've neglected his purposes for your life. 
You've neglected the things that he's called you to do, the things that he has delivered you to be a part of, and you have turned that into your own selfish things. That your clothing and your house and your job and your wages and that purse that is full of holes in it, you have become consumed with those things and you have neglected the work that I've called you into. And so this is not an easy message for the people, right? They're confronted with their their own selfishness. And and God calls the people and and tells them, give careful thought to your ways. Think about what it is that you're doing. This, This way of life that you've been in, not what I've called you into. Give careful thought to your ways. The people have been focused on their own needs, on on their own work, on their own houses. And all the while, God's house is there in ruins, crumbling. And so what is of first importance? What are your priorities? Is it honoring God or is it honoring yourself? Is it working for your own enjoyment? Is it working for your own gain or is it for the pleasure and glory of God? How do we spend our time? What do those 24 hours look like? He tells the people that they expected a lot. They expected all of this stuff to be theirs, but it was all blown away. It it turned out that it didn't turn out the way that they wanted their work had been fruitless. Their, their work and their efforts had been frustrated. Their, their work had been unproductive. The things that they had been trying to was just, they was just spinning their wheels and they were making no progress. They felt like they were just in this hamster wheel, running and running and running and not getting anywhere. And he says it's because you're focused on the wrong house. You're focused on the wrong mission He says, because of my house, which remains in ruin, while each of you is busy with your own house. They were too busy with their own stuff instead of God's stuff. But at the end of this rebuke, I'm sure they have toes that are red and blue and bloodied up from being stomped on. But at the end of this, God says, I am with you. There's a message of hope, a message of promise that says, I'm with you in this. That if you will join with me in this mission, you will be in a relationship with me that you have not even experienced. You're trying to do it on your own, but if you you do it the way in which I have designed it for you, you will be in this relationship with me. I will be empowering you to do what I've called you to do, like we talked about last week with the gifts that you will have the resources available, you will have the resources needed to be able to do what I've called you to do. And so you still have an opportunity to, to join in with the mission that I have. You can make your work my work. You can make your home my home. You can make your time my time, and I am with you in that. And so this becomes the motivation that stirs the people to act. They see what they have been doing. They have evaluated their ways, and they they see that they can join with God in what he is doing. He is in it. And so we need to be looking at our ways. We need to be evaluating our ways and saying, 
Where am I being selfish with my time? What are the things that are in my life that are, are not on track with what God has called me to do? In what ways am I avoiding what he has called me to do? In what ways am I ignoring it? In what ways am I busy with my own house instead of the house of God? And so we see this stirring in the people, and we're reminded that we use our time to fulfill God's purposes. And so the question for us this morning is, how do we use our time? Now, this is a difficult question for us to really evaluate. I think it's easy for us to point it out in other people, right? It's easy to point out that person is too busy. That person isn't doing enough. That person is not volunteering enough. But we look at our own lives, and, and really, I want you to, to really try to honestly evaluate yourself, honestly evaluate your calendar, and honestly think about, what am I doing to serve God's purposes? What has he called me into that I'm avoiding? What is it that I'm doing that is distracting me? What is it that is being busy in my own house? Whatever that is for you. For me, it's literally remodeling a house. I'm too busy in my own house trying to get my kitchen finished. But what is it for you? What is the busyness in your own house? It could be social activities. It could be recreational activities. It could be your career. It could be your kids' activities. It could be your sports activities. The things that we say we have to do, but we don't have to do those things. What are the things that are consuming us? The busyness in our own life where we're not serving the purposes of God and fulfilling his call in our lives. I think too many of us get stuck in these traps where we let culture, we let the world around us dictate our values and dictate our calendars. And so we say we must do such and such. We have to be at this. We have to go to that. I have to be a part of this. If I don't engage in those things, then something's wrong. Because we have allowed culture to tell us what our house needs to look like, what our kids need to look like, what our cars need to look like, what our jobs need to look like. And we slip into a place where we're just doing our own thing. And we've lost sight of what God's purposes are for our lives. And so we say we have to keep up with that certain TV show. We have to play that certain sport. We have to possess a certain house. We have to achieve a certain status at work. We have to involve ourselves in certain activities. We have to have well-rounded kids that are in every activity so they can get a certain scholarship. We say these things about our lives, and so give careful thought to your ways. Give careful thought to the things that you're doing. Without careful thought, we are swept away into the currents of culture. 
Paul reminds us of the same thing in Ephesians chapter 5. It says, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. So be careful. This, this tells me that there has to be an intentionality with our calendars, an intentionality with what we say yes to, and even more intentionality to what we say no to. But it also tells us that we have to understand what the Lord's will is. Like, what does he want for me? What is he calling me into? What does he want for my family? What does he want for my neighborhood? What does he want for my church? What does he want for me? Because that is what I'm being called into. And if he is calling me into something and I'm too busy to even engage in it, if he's calling me into having a certain conversation with somebody, but I can't slow down long enough to even call them, if he's calling me to engage in a, in a certain kind of discipleship with my family, but, but we can't be together because we're in a million different directions, what is he calling you into? Now, each of us are in different seasons of life. We're in different uh, phases of life. We have kids at different ages. We have empty homes. We have full homes. We have crazy homes. We have all kinds of different houses, right? What does your house look like, and what does God want it to look like? What is he challenging you on? With intentionality in our schedules comes great reward as well. In Galatians 6, it says, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. And so we reap what we sow. We put into something and we get something out of it. There's a little bit of a mystery here as to, to what God really means by that. I don't believe that if you put $10 in the offering tray, you get $20 in your bank account. Um, that's not what I think he's talking about here. But I think there are rewards, and some of those rewards are very intangible. Rewards of, of getting an, an email from somebody 15 years after I've worked with them, saying how much that summer internship with them really impacted how they view God. That becomes a reward, right? Sometimes rewards don't show up until much, much later in life. It may even be at a funeral where the rewards are actually seen. The things that a person has done in their lives and the good that they've done is, is reflected in the gathering of people who celebrate their lives. 
And so God rewards us for the good that we do. Now let me pause there and tell you what I'm not telling you. I'm not saying more church activities make you a better person. I'm not saying the more that you're involved in in this place is the better you are. I'm not saying that God will love you more if you do more. I'm not saying that to be a good disciple, you have to have a calendar full of church activities. Because I think there are probably some of us who struggle with being too busy with good church things, too. To the point that our calendar is crazy and it's not honoring God either. And so there are two sides to this. And and anytime we start pushing out on one side, things start popping out on the other side, right? And so if you hear me say, do more, well, I'm kind of saying that. But why do we do more? Why do we serve more? As, as, we see in, as we saw in Ephesians, we need to be able to know what God's will is for us. And so there's not this perfect little form, even though I'm going to give you a form in a few minutes, there's not this perfect little form that says if you have so many check marks, then you're in, and if you don't have so many check marks, then you're out. That's not what we're saying. Because each of us are in a different season of life. Each one of us are in different places of maturity. Each one of us, we're in different places in our relationship with God. And so he is calling us to say yes to certain things. Are you listening to what he's calling you into? And are you being obedient into that? So I'm not saying do more for the sake of doing more. I also want to say that I believe that being a disciple of Jesus is more about a way of being than a way of doing. Being a disciple of Jesus is a way of being, not doing more. So you can be engaged in every single activity this church does. You can be here every time the door is open. You can be here every time the door is closed. And you can be engaged in all of those activities. And you're still not really being the disciple that God has called you to be. Think of it this way. If, if you see an Olympic athlete, you do not become an athlete. Okay, hold on. Let me rephrase this. Make sure I'm getting the analogy right. I can do things that an athlete does. That doesn't make me an athlete. I can have a gym membership. I can even go to the gym occasionally. I can eat certain things and do certain things. I can do athletic kind of things. That doesn't make me an athlete. But I can't be an athlete and not do those things, right? You're not going to be an an all-star athlete and not go to the gym, and not do the exercises, and not do the routines, and not have the diet. You're going to do those things. If you are being an athlete, there's going to be certain parts of your life that that are reflected in being an athlete. But we can also get stuck in these activities and these things that we're doing and missing the point altogether. And so I think discipleship is one of those things where 
we're called to be a certain way. And those are the things that we're, we're exploring through this series. These are the things that we, we talk about. It's the, the, the disciplines that we go through, the practices that we go through, are not for those in and of themselves. We pray to God, not so God will love us more. We pray to God because God loves us so much. We, we study the scripture not because we feel like we have to check off a, a mark on a reading calendar. We read the scripture because we want to know what God's will is for our lives because we love him and he loves us. Giving of our time is the same way. That we, we don't give more of our time because a, a preacher guilts us into doing it. We don't give more of our time because there's some need or some hole that has to be filled. We don't give more of our time because we feel like if we do more, then God will like us more. No, we, we do more because we have been transformed by the love of God through Jesus in our lives that, that we can't help but want to do more for him. That because of what he has done in our lives, we, we want to serve, and we want to serve his purposes. We want to be the person that he has called us to be. And so as followers of Jesus, this is what we get into. Where because of the love of God given to us, we want to serve. And we want to be a part of giving our time to serve his purposes. And so there's just a slight difference in how we view things, right? The outcome may be the same. The athlete goes to the gym, and the non-athlete goes to the gym. It's not the gym in and of itself that's defining whether or not you're an athlete. And so we continue on this path of discipleship, continue asking God, what do you want to do through me? God, what are you saying to me, and what am I going to do about it? And so the challenge for us today is, are we being disciples? Are we being obedient to what he's calling us to? And if we really believe that God is who he says he is, and if we really believe in the new identity that we have through Jesus, then will our calendars reflect that belief? Will our time spent reflect that belief? I've got um, a form that I want to hand out now. I'm going to ask this front row, this lovely front row of people who have been here since 8.30 serving to continue to serve. So here's where... Um, you know, th this, this is the challenge... <laughs> last week and this week and then next week is going to be this challenging com combination of messages where last week we talk about our giftings and how we use our giftings. This week we talk about the time, which you really don't want to mess with each other's calendars, right? I mean, that, that's going to get you in some trouble. And then next week we're going to talk about your pocketbooks. And so now it will really get challenging. And so I don't know how much worse it can get. Maybe the next week we'll talk politics or something. I don't know. But... Um, but really messing with us. And so I, I want you to, I don't want you to be guilted. I don't want you to be shamed into doing anything. But I do want you to be honest 
with yourselves and honest with God. If we are to be serving God's purposes, are we doing that in a way that he has called us to? Are we doing it in faithfulness to the gifts that he's given us? Now, using your time to serve God's purposes is not limited to serving the purposes of Montgomery Church. Okay, let's separate those out. There are lots of things that you can do for the kingdom of God outside of this church building and the programs of this church. How you are discipling your kids, how you are interacting with your neighbors, how you are interacting with your coworkers, the people in need that you help out, the, the people who are struggling that you're helping out. There's a lot of things that we do for the name of Jesus. And there are things that we do for others because of what God has done for us. So I want to acknowledge that. It's not limited to making sure you can check off enough boxes on that form I just handed you. But on the flip side of that, we are a family, and the family has needs. And there's things that we need to do to help the family out, and things that we need to do to, to encourage one another and, and make this place happen. That, that for services to even happen this morning, a lot of pieces had to come together to make it work. And we had to have people say yes to those things and then actually show up to those things and do it. And so there's a lot of things on that form. I want you to fill that form out for me. Part of it is just reflecting, here are the things that I'm already doing. It's good for us to kind of think about, okay, what are the things that I'm doing? But then I also want to extend an invitation to you to do something different or do something more than what you're currently doing. Now, for some of you, the, the idea of doing more makes you want to have just a, a screaming fit, right? And so I want you to pray about why it makes you want to have a screaming fit. <laughs> Maybe you're doing too much in other areas and you need to be doing less. Maybe you're doing things that are outside of what God has gifted you. Maybe, maybe you're just not following through with what he's called you to. Maybe you're avoiding the things that he's called you to. So I want you to reflect on what is it that's causing anxiety in you as you fill this form out. So use it as just a, as an activity for yourself, first of all, to kind of evaluate where you're at and what you're doing. But then this is also an opportunity for you to communicate back to us areas that you would like to serve. Maybe you've got this area that I, I really could do more, I would like to do more, and serve more in this area. And this provides a feedback tool for us to be able to follow up with you and get you plugged into other areas of ministry. We all need to be evaluating our calendar. We all need to be thinking about how our calendar serves the purpose of God. And maybe we're too busy with church activities. Maybe we're not busy enough. Maybe we've got areas of our life where we're so frantic that we can't pause long enough to even have a conversation with somebody. And we need to adjust our lives accordingly. So I want to challenge you to fill that form out. I want you to, uh, if you could, turn it in. Um, by the end of today would be awesome because if you take it home, you'll lose it. Um, 
and so yeah, I'm just telling the truth, right? So <laughs> um, if you could turn it in, I'll have a box in the back uh, that you can turn it in. Uh, if you want to spend a little bit of time with it this week, you can bring it back next week as well. Um, don't make me hunt you down to find one later on, so because I will. So, all right, so let's go ahead and be standing. Trying to balance these kind of messages with uh, the, the grace and love that God gives us uh, with also the challenge to do more. It's always difficult to, to measure, to, to balance that tension. Um, it's something I'd really much rather not preach about and just avoid. So it's, it's difficult, but I want us to, to spend some time in prayer here. This is an opportunity for us to pray with one another, pray for one another, a time for us to, to encourage one another. So we'll have shepherds down front. You can move across the room and pray with, with others, people in your small group, friends, family. Uh, gather up and, and pray. Uh, let's, let's pray together. God, we thank you so much for uh, the blessings that you give us. We thank you for all that you have given us. And God, I pray that we will give you this time now uh, as we uh, lift up our concerns to you, our requests to you. Uh, God, move in our lives. Show us uh, where, where our lives are out of whack, where, where things are inconsistent, where we're focusing more on our house instead of your house. And God, show us how you want to use us. Show us your will for us and help us be obedient in that. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.